So today we uh, turn uh, into our first series in this annual theme of, of Revive, and we're focusing on what it means to revive pursuit. And we're going to be in uh, Psalm 139 both this week and next. It's so rich and so, uh, and so profound in its teaching that we could not get the entire psalm in one sermon, so it will be two. Uh, this week will be in Psalm 139, verses 1 through 16. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I hope that you will turn with me there. If not, the words will be on the screen as we together hear the word of the Lord. Psalm 139 beginning in verse 1. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before And you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely, The darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even darkness will not be dark to you. And night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before even one of them came to be. This is God's word offered to us today in its reading and in its hearing. So we give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. Uh, Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open and all desires are known. From you no secrets are hidden. This is your gospel truth. So now we come today into this space and time seeking you, seeking your word and your wisdom. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on this discernment, on this preaching and on this receiving, we pray, O oh God, that you would open our eyes that we would see, ears that we would hear. Open our minds that we would come to know and understand your will, our hearts, we would feel its power. Then I ask, O oh God, that you would open our hands, that we would offer grace to the world. We pray this together as the people of God in Jesus' name. Amen. I find it a great tool for me personally, to feel insignificant so that I might feel significant. Think about that with me. What settings 
can you find yourself in strategically, intentionally, or otherwise so that you would feel insignificant? And in those moments, can you be utterly struck with how significant you are to God? I love going camping, particularly uh, to Big Bend or uh, somewhere out in Colorado. Uh, you know, something odd happens when you're camping. Uh, all of a sudden, you get tired and you go to sleep when you probably should anyway. There is no tech. There's no Netflix. There's nothing to binge. There's nothing to look up. There's no, there's no none of this. It all goes away. And so after you eat and the sun goes down and your campfire begins to dwindle down to embers, uh, you... Always find that moment where you look up. You look, look up and you're struck by the night sky, by the stars that fill the sky. And, and, and if you think about it, it's really not that many stars. To the naked eye on any given night, there are only 5,000 stars visible. And I'm not talking about in Houston where there's only 10, right? I'm, I'm talking about out in the wilderness, on any given night, to the naked eye, there's only about 5,000. And when you do the math, right, we could do this, right? 5,000, the earth is round, cut it in half, you could only see half of it, so you only see 2,500 at a time. Now, that number doesn't seem grand, and it doesn't really account for the septillion stars that have been seen with telescopes, I didn't, I, I, I believe that's like an accurate number. That's not just Jason like doing the deal that he does sometimes, right? So, but there's 2,500. But whenever I look, I know that each of those 2,500 represents a, another planet that God has created. And in the grand scheme of that universe, I feel insignificant and I need that sometimes when I was when I was a kid I, I liked and I, I, hold on that was a fib I like to step on anthills uh, not just as a kid but also as an adult right you see an anthill what do you want to do False. You don't want to stay away from it. You want to step on that anthill. I, I like to crack it open just a little bit as though I'm toying with it, you know. Uh, uh, and, and you just pop the top of the anthill and all of a sudden, like they're just like all the ants just flood out. And, and, and as they're all coming out, uh, I'm struck by how many there are just in that little spot. There's only one little me, but there is all. There. Did you know in a typical Texas anthill, there are 250,000 ants? 250,000 ants and just one you. Sometimes you just need to be struck by how grand things are to know how grand you are as well. I go hiking in the Sam Houston National Forest. There's a Lone Star Trail. It goes much further than just in the Sam Houston National Forest, but it's dense, like deep East Texas wood kind of trees everywhere feel. Did you know that there are approximately 888 million trees in the Sam Houston National Forest? 
161,000 acres, 888 million trees. It's a lot of trees. And you're walking through that and you're like, man, how grand is this? And who am I? There are 30 million Texans, 330 million Americans, 7.8 billion people on this planet. And there's one you. And there's one me. And Psalm 139 teaches us that when we are tempted or strategically confronted with the truth that we are unique and minute and we might even feel insignificant, the gospel message is you are significant to God. There are four moves of this passage I want to take us through in verses 1 through 16. And they're truths about who God is and who we are in relationship to God. The first is this. God knows you. God knows you. Verses 1 through 5 make that uh, uh, incredibly clear. God knows the mundane you. I mean, why would David account for this Uh, It seems so odd. He accounts for the fact that God knows when you sit and when you stand. How often do you sit and stand? I believe this is why the Catholics do what they do on Sundays. Uh, Lots of sitting and standing. So we are confronted with the truth that God knows all of it, right? God also knows the mundane when you leave and when you lie down. Now, many of us lie down only once a day. Others of us have a strategic nap time built in there, and we lie down a couple times a day. How many times do you leave, though? You left your room today. You left the bathroom today. You left your house today. You left your car today. You're going to leave here today. You're going to leave Craft Grill or El Chaparro today. You're going to leave how many times today? God knows the mundane. When you sit, when you stand, when you leave, and when you lie down, God knows those little details that you don't even think about. There are times in life where you sit down and you don't know why you sat down. Or you stand up to go do something and you forget why you stood up in the first place and what you were going to do. That is happening more and more for me. And I think that it's intentional for David to declare that God knows even the mundane so that when we feel insignificant or that there are things in life that are insignificant, we are confronted with the truth that they are known by God. God knows you. But God also knows the complex about you. The, the, the things that, that, that baffle us, the complex things about you. God, God knows your thoughts. That's, that's, that's a lot to, to, to really 
digest. God knows your thoughts. Now, now, even during this very sermon, I know that most of you have had a moment where you started thinking about something that wasn't here in this room, and, and you kind of went down that rabbit trail. Maybe it was a grocery list. Maybe it's a things-to-do list. Maybe it's a question of whether or not you turned off the Keurig. Whatever it is, you started thinking about that thing, and then you started thinking about why you were thinking about that thing, and then you told yourself to stop thinking about that thing that is not about the thing that we're here to think about we think a lot God knows your thoughts how grand is that that God knows your thoughts God knows God knows your words it says and God here in Psalm 139 God knows the words that you will speak before they are even formed in your mouth on your tongue now, for some of you, that's not as impressive because you are incredibly thoughtful and no word is spoken unless you have strategically established it as needing to be said. And then there are those of you like me where this is crazy. I have no clue what I'm going to say before I say it most of the time. And I externally process everything. And so whenever I hear that God knows what I'm going to say before I say it, I'm like, that's a talent because I don't, right? God knows you. Verses 1 through 5 of Psalm 139 make that clear. God knows you, each of you, each of us, all of us, individually, the mundane and the complex God knows you. And and the second point, I'm going to just pull verse 6 specifically out, singularly, because it's it's beginning to be understood in 1 through 5, but it's it's articulated in such a clear way in verse 6 that that we need to just, just establish it as gospel truth. God knows you in ways that you can't. God knows you in ways that you can't. Not only in ways that you don't, but also in ways that you can't. Verse 6 says it this way. Such knowledge, as it's summarizing 1 through 5, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Not just that, that, that you don't understand it, but you cannot understand it. We invest so much time trying to understand who we are and how we were made. For all of us in business or in relationships or in counseling, we've taken all these personality tests, Myers-Briggs, Enneagrams, the, the color one, the Firo B, the 360 assessment. By the way, I'm about to do another 360, so you, you might get a, an email asking to 360 Jason, right? So like whatever it is, we've done those things. And it seems like every time we do them, we get another label. Shout out to all the reds out there, the eights out there, the ENTPs out there, right? Those are me. And whenever you get that, that, that sheet of paper that says, this is what you are, you get that box and it says, you're this, you're that, you're that, you're that. And, and, and you're like, uh-huh, 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 huh? 
You, you, know, you know that moment whenever you read one of those personality things and then you, and then you get the, huh? I didn't know that about myself. And then, and then what happens, because you're, you're typically in a group or a small group or something whenever you take one of those things. And whenever you get to the, huh? You, you, you look around the room and you read it out loud and everybody says, uh-huh. Yep. You, know how, you didn't know how you were showing up. You didn't know what, what, what you were putting out into the world, but everybody else sees it. Or maybe sometimes, maybe sometimes, and I think that this is a beautiful reminder. Maybe sometimes you get, huh? And you check it with the crowd. And everybody else in the room says, you know, I don't think that's how you show up. I don't see that in you. Because no matter how many boxes or constructs can be established, no matter how many tools we can have to understand who we are, we are all individuals. Each of us uniquely made. And God knows you, the real you, the whole you, all of you. God knows you in ways that you cannot. On this side of heaven, you and I will never know ourselves the same profound way that God knows us. The third move of this passage is, is, is a, a tremendous reminder and something that, that, that we need to hear all too often, it's that God is present with you. Verses 7 on through verse 12, line this out for us. It, it, it talks about this, this, you know, can you outrun God? Can you flee from God? Can you hide from God? Uh, and, and over and over again, the account is no. God is with you. God is always with you. God is everywhere with you. God is present with you. My dad built a, a, a house on a piece of land that backs up to Brazos Bend State Park, the one with all the gators. Uh, and, uh, and I used to go there as, kid, as a kid, and we would torment the gators and probably do things that should have killed me. Nonetheless, he has a house there. And, and whenever they were building the house, he w was taking me out on the property and he had it all staked out where they were going to build in 200-year-old oak trees and, and this little lake kind of marshland area and a dam. And then right across the dam is Brazos Bend State Park. And during the build, he decided, I want to be off the grid. I don't want anybody to know where I am Error. And that was it. I'm going to uh, get solar panels. I'm going to have a propane tank. I don't want to have any bills coming to me and I don't because cuz I'm not going to be on anyone's record. That was his whole idea. I'm going to be self-sufficient, self-sustaining, well water, solar power, propane, and the only guy that's going to know where I am is the propane delivery guy that's going to come once every 6 months. And I was like, "Dad, you're crazy. Why?" He's like, "I'm self-sustaining." For him, it wasn't as much about like the man knowing stuff. It was just like, I want to be like totally like self-sustaining and not have any impact. And of course, as it were with most of us, whenever he got all the price tags on it, he did not do that entirely because <laughs> it's, it's not cheap to be 
totally off the grid. But I'm reminded of that, that, that moment in the Bourne series, Jason Bourne, and I can't remember which one it was, Supremacy, Ultimatum, whatever. That wasn't Ultimatum. What was that one? The U? Oh, it was Ultimatum. Yeah, there we go. Somewhere in there, Bourne has been off the grid, he thought, and then they come after him yet again, and he determines, realizes, is confronted with the truth, and articulates it in this way. He says, there is nowhere that I could go where I will not be found. So I'm going to go to them. And that's when he takes the fight to them. For us, we are confronted by the scripture with the truth that there is nowhere we can go from the presence of God. God is always there. Now, at first, for some of us, that might be uh, threatening or scary, especially considering what we just talked about. God knows you. God knows all of you. God knows you in ways that you do not know yourself, cannot know yourself. And so some of you are thinking, I don't, I don't know if I want God to know what God knows. And if God knows what God knows, then him being with me is a little bit scary because uh, then I'll be confronted with the truth of what God knows. And, and that, that, that's hard for me to wrestle with and wrestle through. Y'all with me? And so that thought initially can be scary or threatening, but, but here's how, how David plays it out and how important it is for us to see it, it kind of move through. Because whenever it is scary, whenever we know enough about ourselves to, uh, to, to feel pain or fear over it, oftentimes we run as though we're running for, from ourselves. We go head towards darkness to hide in darkness, or we create darkness as though in that darkness we will not be found. But there's a word of comfort there for us. Because when we experience darkness or run towards darkness, the truth of the gospel message is there is no darkness in God. God is so purely light that whenever we find ourselves in darkness, it is as light to him. Did y'all hear that? It was in verse 11 and 12. We might say, verse 11 says, Surely darkness will hide me and light will become night around me. So if we, if we don't want to be found, if we, if we ha have experienced such pain or we experience such toxic relationships or toxic addictions or temptations, we might pursue darkness as a retreat from God. And when we say that, the darkness will hide me and light will become night. In verse 12, it declares who God is there. Even the darkness will not be dark to God. The night will shine like day, for darkness is as light to him. No matter where you are or what you're going through, even in the darkest moments of life, God is there. And God is not there perpetuating darkness. God is there shining his light. 
in your life, wherever you are. Some of us needed to hear that today. Because we've been experiencing some darkness. God is in the darkness with you. And there in that darkness, he is a brilliant light. So God knows you. God knows you in ways that you can't. God is present with you. All of that is is magnificent in and of itself. But if we were to take just one step back, David already answers the, the most obvious remaining question, why? Why? Number four, God knows you because he wants to know you. God knows you because he wants to know you. He's not coerced into knowing you. It's not a flaw in the system that he knows you. It's intentional. It's desired. He pursues you. He knows you because he wants to know you. He knows you because you are known as he is known as he knows himself. Each of us collectively are known in this way. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it describes this creative order in this way. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. His image is in you and in me. His image is in all of us. And since his image is in us, he knows us, that collective, in all of us. But that's not it. He doesn't only know you because your image is in you as it is in me and as it is in everyone else. God also knows you, declares the word, Because of how unique and individual you are. Because he wants to know you. He declares that he knows you in your inmost being. In verse 13. He has known you from your mother's womb. In verse 13. He knows you when your frame was hidden. When you were woven together. When your body was unformed. He knows you as an individual because he wants to. What astounding pursuit is this? In verse 14, it says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well because of your intimate knowledge of me. And you want that. God is God. God doesn't have to know you. God wants to know you. God wants to know you so much that that he sent his only son Jesus into the world uh, so that he would take on human form and be the sacrifice that, that would resolve all of our sin. And in so doing, we would have redemption in him. God knows you and pursues you to the ends of the earth all the way. You cannot flee from him, cannot run from him. He knows you and wants to know you and pursues you in that way. But here's the question for us now if God pursues us and knows us that well what 
should our response be? Whenever I am reminded of my insignificance, I'm simultaneously reminded of how significant I am to God. God loves me. God pursues me. And because God loves me and pursues me, I love him and am committed to pursuing him. How are we pursuing God? We have to revive pursuit. We cannot experience revival if we aren't pursuing it. I mean, that seems basic. It seems foundational, and it is gospel. We cannot experience revival until we are pursuing it. And since God pursued us, we should pursue God as well. So sometimes we just have to know where to start. Sometimes we just have to have, to have, a, have, a, have a little coach, a, a little guidance, a little activity that we're charged with. So here's the deal. This week, each of us are going to commit to read the Gospel of John. Now, some of us might think that, ooh, that's a lot. No, no, no. 21 chapters, three chapters a day, beginning today. God pursues you because he loves you and he knows you. And we, in turn, are going to pursue God this week. As the people of God, all of us, can you imagine? Can you imagine if the entire church said, we're going to pursue God this week and we're going to know Jesus more because we're going to all read the Gospel of John. Today I'm going to read 1 through 3. Tomorrow I'm going to read 4 through 6. And by the end of the week, when we come back together for worship next week, we're going to know that everyone else we're worshiping with said, I want to know God just as God wants to know me. And so I'm going to pursue him more and more. Can you do it? Will you commit to it? It seems like such a simple sacrifice. But if all of us do it together, we'll revive pursuit. And we'll experience revival. Let's pray. Gracious God, what a gift it is to be known. To be known by you. To be known intimately intimately and fully, Lord, we ask now that you would revive in us this, this, this knowledge, this truth that we are significant to you. And because we are significant to you, Lord, we want you to hear our heart declare to you how significant you are to us. Lord, we love you. We pursue you with our whole hearts. We ask, God, that you would make yourself known to us more and more day by day. We pray this as the people of God. In Jesus' name, amen.